just a heads up, everyone. Though we look at things through an optimistic lens on this show, some of the topics may be triggering and some of the language may be adult. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. I'm Jenna Edwards, and I've overcome some pretty serious adversity in my life. And I just recently realized it was all because of this mindset I call aggressive optimism. I knew I wasn't the only one living with this way of thinking, and as I always say, there's a million ways to do anything. So I wanted to do this podcast so I could have conversations with others and learn how they overcome adversity and achieve their big goals and dreams and create the life they want to live. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Edwards, and today we're talking with the gloriously wonderful human, Carol Senek. She is the CEO and owner of Butterfly Boom Productions, where she helps people with their branding and writes copy that is true to their brand. Carol has recently suffered the tragic loss of her husband and is using her skills as a speaker and writer to work through the grief while helping others along the way. Welcome to the show, Carol. Well, thank you, Jenna. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here, too. Uh, and I'm just so, I'm so, so sorry for your loss. And in the book that you're working on right now, you say that the loss of your husband turned your life around. Would you mind sharing a little bit about what happened? Well, you know, I had big plans for a whole new venue, a new project. And I was so excited about it. And I was going to do this project with the help of Larry. I needed him for his technical skills, his videography, and, you know, his engineering skills. He was my IT dude. Hashtag <laughs> IT dude. You know? And suddenly, with him being gone, that whole project, which I had already started working on, tanked. Mm. It tanked and it broke my heart. And I know that I told you once before that I had this nine panel vision board. And it was huge. It was just huge. It was like four by eight. And I had, wow. oh, I'd put a lot of work into this vision board. This, this was going to be my year. This is the year I was filming a documentary. You know, this is the year that I had already set up interviews with specific women that I wanted to talk to. I was doing a documentary on stage four breast cancer. Wow. It's, yeah, it's the area of breast cancer that nobody wants to talk about because these women will never get better. They live, you know, but they live, they're dying. And that's how, you know, it, that's how it goes. They, they live for years, too. I don't want anybody to go, oh, my God, Carol. No, 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 no. They live <laughs> for years, but they're ignored. And oh, they're wow. Ignored. And you just wanted to share their voices and you wanted to do it with Larry. Right, right. I had a great title for it. I'm not going to share the title for it because I still, I still own that URL and I might turn it into something else. But I had, I had the artwork done for it. I was ready to rock and roll. And then February 19th, Larry went outside to do a little bit of fertilizing of the rose bushes, came back inside, stroked, and died in my arms. My God. That was the end of the project. And you were with Larry for how many years? We were married almost 19 years. We were together over 20 it's amazing. And I had the honor and privilege of having dinner with you guys when we were on our road trip. And there is not a more loving, wonderful couple. I I am so sorry for your oh, loss. It's okay. It's 
it's okay. I, oh, you know what? Nobody's sorrier than I am in good, you know, in, you know, <laughs> when it comes true. down to brass tacks here, but uh, we did have a great love story. And, you know, when I talk to people about it, people who really knew him, like you say the same thing, you know, the laughter, the loving, the kindness, the caring. I mean, in my eyes, he could do nothing wrong. In his eyes, I could do nothing wrong. Yeah. Although we did. But isn't that true love? It's like, you really just focus in on all the good and it's such a magical thing to be in the presence of. And I feel like Craig and I have that too. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw a lot of Craig and I and you guys. And, and so when the, when the news broke about Larry, it was, I mean, I share in that tragedy because I can't even imagine what it must be like to have that and then not have that in such a fast way except that yours wasn't fast and I know that that's something that you um are going to that you've been sharing on your thrive live which is Tuesdays correct yeah Tuesdays at 7 30 eastern time on Facebook it's hashtag thrive live it's fantastic uh oh. Facebook live program that Carol does uh so check that out but I I know that you were sharing a lot about um the the fact that he passed in your arms and then, but his body didn't go. Like, can you share a little bit more about that? Cause I'm not being very eloquent about it. And I, <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah. Um, by the time we got him to the emergency room and they were able to do a CAT scan on him, they showed me the films and I just looked at him and my background is nursing. And I looked, I looked at the CAT scan and I knew that we were in big trouble because the uh, blood clot had taken over more than 50% of his entire brain stem, which is, that's it. That's your, that's the brain stem going from the top of the spinal cord up and into the brain. That's where your vital capacity is. You know, everything yeah. that you do is there. And we helicoptered him down to Tampa General Hospital in hopes that the neurosurgeons there could work some miracles, but they were never really optimistic about it and you know he remained intubated and you know on tube fed and on fluids and till finally I had a talk with his children and I said you know we have advanced directives and your dad's not going to get any better and we have a decision to make and they said take him off the machine. I said, okay, I just needed to hear them say that because I never would want to be on the other side of that. You know, right. when I'm down the road, you get the blame. Absolutely. But we had enough experts and enough thought leaders telling us that he would have to have a peg tube, which is a tube that is put into you to feed you. And he would have to have a tracheostomy. And I know as a nurse, I know the horrors of all that. And he'd have to live in a nursing home. Mm. And, you know, and it, to me, the minute I heard that, I, I saw all the patients that came back through my emergency room when I was working, you know, with urinary tract infections and with um, uh, aspiration pneumonias from the tube feeding that, you know, something not going down the right, you know, whatever. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't, or septic, septic. And I said, that's not what Larry ever would have wanted. This is a man, Jenna, who was the project manager or one of the project managers on the Sears Tower in Chicago. <laughs> This so is no a, small undertaking no, and no. definitely action oriented. Exactly. He worked high rise construction until he took a, he did a complete 180 in his life, probably 
honest to God, must have scared everybody he knew. He opened a high-intensity dance club in Chicago, ran it for 10 years. <laughs> I know. when the average, I love it. I know. The average lifespan of a nightclub is three years. He kept wow. it going for 10 years. Whatever he touched turned into gold. In a way, you know, he turned me into gold, too. He made, I'm a better person for having been loved by Larry Sanik. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I have to commend you on your bravery for making that decision. I think that that had to have been the hardest decision of your life. Uh, it is because what you have to remember, if any of your listeners have been there or are unfortunately in a situation like that or know somebody who is, you are honoring their wishes. Yeah. And you owe that to the person. You honor what they wanted. And, you know, I found out that I'm actually in the minority. The um, neuro ICU nurse, head nurse, came to me and said that uh, families say no to doing that. They can't let go. And I thought, how can you say no when you know that the person you love has already said in writing, this is what I want? You know, the emotions and the reality are two different things. So how did you kind of overcome or come to a place of peace about that? I had a long talk with a palliative care physician. Most big hospitals have them now. They work with a social worker and they help patients and patients' families make decisions. And when we had Larry extubated, then we took him to hospice, which was actually within the hospital. We didn't have to leave oh, the that's hospital nice. for that. You know, and they offered all this help to me and they, they explained dying. Dying is, you know, something that most of us don't understand because we don't want to think about it. Sure. But there's a process. Oh, wow. There's a definite process. And they explained that all to me. And I understood then why, you know, there were no more fluids, why there were no more tube feedings, why, you know, all they could do is just make him as comfortable as possible until his body shut down. Wow. And so that kind of logic helped you sort of come to terms with and be at peace with that decision. Yes. Because, you know, I knew, we all knew that Larry could hear us. He could respond to us with hand gestures. Oh, wow. He could uh, make a face if we asked him to make a face. There were certain things that he could do. And the Saturday before we took him off, the machines and everything. I crawled into bed with him in the hospital and I had the nurse put his arm around me. Mm -hmm. I played quite a few songs that we used in our wedding. Oh. He reached up and he put his hand in my hair and just rubbed my head for about 15 minutes. Wow. And that's when I knew that he was telling me he couldn't come back this time. I We brought him back from two different heart situations in the past mm. and that's when I knew he was telling me that he was sorry um, that he just couldn't do it this time wow very yeah. powerful yeah very powerful and so after you the initial grieving phase you decided that you would share and you kind of shared throughout but I feel oh, like yes. it became more intentional that you share about grief so can you like share with our audience a little bit more about that kind of thought process and, and motivation? Okay. I started writing. I was journaling on Facebook. Yes. I'm very transparent. 
No, you know, I love it. <laughs> and we will put Carol's Facebook handle on the show page at aggressiveoptimism.com. So definitely uh, friend her because the stuff that she talks about not only on Thrive Live, but in her Facebook journaling is really powerful. And And I have to commend you. You're brave beyond most people's recognition. And it's completely awe-inspiring. Thank you. When I, you know, I started writing every day and I, I did numbered writings, day 31, you know, I remember day. that. Mm -hmm. And I went all the way up to day 143. Wow. And the reason I stopped numbering my daily posts was because 143 are the number of letters in the phrase, I love you. Aww. And I ended. You're going to go ahead and make me cry, lady. I ended my, I ended my um, posts, my numbered posts with, and I have a chapter in my book too that says this, 143 is no longer a working number. <sighs> mm -hmm. So that's, I was determined to end it and now I call it morning thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yes, now I call them morning thoughts. I still write every day and I started a Facebook page where I talk about my grieving. My morning thoughts are more about what I'm doing and how I'm doing and what's going on. And then the page I started on Facebook to match my book, that is where I talk about grieving. And so your book is solely, um, I want to use the word surfaced around, but that's not the right word. It's solely based around the idea of grieving and what you're doing to grieve. Is that accurate? It's the love story and, you know, and the, that, yeah, the grief that's there. I mean, I keep thinking, I keep seeing the notebook in my head, you know, <laughs> <laughs> hello, Mitch. You know, I keep, I keep seeing what he wrote and seeing how that movie, you know, became such a, a heartbreaking movie for a lot of people, mm. you know, um, because I think there are many times especially with our, my children's age and his children's age, where they don't realize how much he and I really loved each other. You know, there really? Were yeah, there were divorces along the way. I mean, you know, I mean, this was, a, this was a new marriage for Larry and I, third marriage for both of us, you know, and they don't really, I think they think they own love. <laughs> you know, at a, at a younger age. And, you oh, know, interesting. You know, people can, I just saw, I just saw on TV, a 106-year-old and a 105-year-old that are still married to each other. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Well, I think it's really interesting, too, that maybe it's their filter because they, they're kind of just waiting for the divorce. But, like, I spent time with you and Larry, and there is no question the amount of love that existed between the two of you. So it's really fascinating to me to hear you say that's, that your children didn't maybe understand how much you loved each other. Well, Jenna, I don't think they wanted to know we were having sex. <laughs> well, I think that's just weird for any child. You know, to think about. I mean, hello, hello. You know, I mean, we, we had some crazy, we, we went to the sex museum in Paris. There is such a thing I want you to know. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> I think that might be just a normal human thing. One, for children, and two, most people don't want to think about other people having sex. It's like a weird thing. <laughs> no, but it's such a beautiful part of a really good yeah. love. 
It truly is. Especially, mm -hmm. I think, especially as you're getting older, you know, it's a diff it's different, it's, um, it's not quite that passion and lust stuff. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you almost just look at each other and follow each other into the bedroom, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. It's, it's different, but it's beautiful. It didn't, you know, I thought it was better sometimes than anything I'd ever done before when I was younger. Well, that's because something, the connection. Well, yeah, there's something special about a more mature love. Yeah. Well, I think it's like the ability and the bravery to be as open as you possibly can with the other person. Right. You know, you so know. there I was, you know, suddenly there's no more Larry, which breaks my heart. And I miss him so much. And there's no more Larry. There's no more documentary. And people kept saying, as I wrote, Carol, you need to write a book. Carol, you need to write a book. So I said, okay, I, I need to spend a lot of time writing a book that I'm not going to make a lot of money on, <laughs> but hopefully it will help others. Yes. You know, because I will talk about the things that nobody else wants to talk about, the things you need to do before somebody dies, you know. And so I'm curious about, because I know that you're just a super open human. Mm -hmm. uh, has it always been that way is my first, the first part of that question. That I've been open? Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. gosh, yes. My phone number is on my Facebook page. <laughs> People ask but I mean, me even when that. you were younger, you didn't have any qualms about sharing your entire life? Oh, hell I mean, no. Free social media? No. Okay. Oh, no, no. I, I shared this, everything. The second part of that question is when you decided to write the book, how did you or did you have to overcome like the idea of sharing it, which is obviously no, because you're an open book, but like, how do you choose the stories that, and then overcome, you know, I imagine a lot of the stories that you would be talking about would make you grieve even harder. And so how do you overcome that part and then choose the stories that you want to write about in the book? Well, that does happen. And if it does happen and I find myself choking up, I usually get up and walk around, get a drink of water and bring myself back to center. Okay. Uh, because Larry left me the most incredible gift. I was sitting in my former residence and going through the thumb drives that I found in his office. And I opened every single one of those thumb drives and here he had taken every single photo he had on his computer and on his phone and he had put them on a thumb drive i have i have 19 20 years of photos of he and i and places we've been that i had no idea he had kept oh my gosh that's amazing so i go through them and right now i'm converting some of them into black and whites and i'm going to hang them on my wall in my living room of him or him and i you know whatever mm -hmm. but they help and I'm amazed. I asked my, because I, I attend counseling. I have a bereavement counselor. And I asked her why my memories are sharper than ever of things that he and I did. And she said, it's because you're focused on him so much. And these things are flooding back to you. And I'm fine with that. Let, right. him, let these things keep coming. Because that's the beautiful part of our relationship is I can still sit there and remember Paris. I can remember Hawaii. You know, I can remember seeing you walking down the hall <laughs> at Westgate in Las Vegas, and that's how we met, you know. Uh, and oh. Larry, 
Larry said to me right before I signaled you to come on over and talk to me for a minute, like I'm some kind of Hollywood reporter. I don't That's know. like one of my favorite memories too. Oh, I love I that. Oh, I know. And <laughs> he had just left. He had just turned to go into a session and I wasn't going to go to a session and I met you. And where did I end up that night? I ended up working the red carpet for the, for the um, International Web TV Awards. Did I say that right? Uh, International Association of Web TV. I can't remember. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Isn't that horrible? I literally. I met, I met I, some of the coolest people on that red carpet. That was so fun. So let's share the story because I think our listeners are probably like, "What are you guys talking about?" Um, we. I was speaking on a panel at the NAB show in Las mm-hmm. Vegas, um, mm-hmm. and I was producing the red carpet for. Um, the live awards show for the IAWTV, so yeah, International Association of Web Television, um, where a friend of mine, Jen Page, who's going to be a guest on the show, I believe next week, was producing the show inside the theater. I was producing the red carpet. And Carol, um, you can take it away because you tell this part of the story so funnily. (laughs) Well, you know, there was one particular person who was on the TV show Lost, Oh my! I wanted to. I wanted to buy. Oh, that's right. He was really annoying. No, really an annoying celebrity. He needed to go in and take his seat. But I have. I still am friends with quite a few of the people that came down. If they handed me a business card, I hooked up with them on LinkedIn because that's where I found most of them. And I'm still friends with quite a few of the people that I met that night because these are people that start television shows. You know. On the, on the web, and some of them get lucky and they turn into real TV shows, you know, through a real TV station like NBC or CBS or, you know, whatever. Traditional television. You know, I mean, it, to me, this was like, holy mackerel, I'm on the red carpet. Let me get on the other side, you know. <laughs> I, t- I did. We took pictures of me on the other side, making That's me look so like great. I was the one in it. I mean, heck yeah. But that's Larry and I. That's the kind of fun we would have. Yes, you guys are very fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was a fun night. Everybody, everybody was so nice, except for the arrogant dude from the show Law. <laughs> Stop. We're not shaming anybody. Okay, we're shaming a little. Don't be a jerk. shaming what he is, you know. Don't be a diva. No, but I met Larry King's assistant which I thought was really cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, so I had, I had a, you know, a time to talk with people and it was, it was very nice. And, um, Brian Rada and I have stayed friends all this nice. time. And, you know, I, he's just been a super guy to me and a super friend. So, you oh, know, that's I mean, great. You I'm, know, I think that it's such a great story of how as a couple, you guys really, encouraged each other to like step outside your comfort zones right so carol basically i was walking down the hall and she healed me over and it was the best interaction it was so much fun and then she ended up in the panel and that's how she got invited to do the red carpet and all of this stuff but it wouldn't have happened if you didn't feel supported right and i think like as a couple you guys did that for each other and it's such a beautiful beautiful thing to have that love and have that support and have that then have the ability to have these crazy adventures because you feel comfortable. 
I didn't exactly hail you. Let's go back a minute here. I, like, I did that little thing with my index finger where I said, come on over here. Well, I mean, <laughs> what would you call that, Carol? <laughs> like a hook. Come on over here right now. Like, like your mother just did. Get over, over here. here. <laughs> you came over and you were walking with like three other women and I'm going, oh, she's got people. <laughs> you know, what have I just done? And you had a yellow silk flower in your hair. And of course you had yellow on. Yes. And of course it was the yellow. You know, that'll grab, oh my goodness, everybody should wear yellow if you want to be noticed. I mean, I, I think everybody should wear yellow in general. Well, it's agree. just the happiest I color. Agree. I tell you, you're, <laughs> you're an explosion of sunshine in my life. Aw, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so, um, I am very grateful to you for pointing that out every time we talk. Yeah, of course, <laughs> I'm going to talk about that. You know, think, it's not no, always come on. Right? I, that's how I met you. And I, you know, I posted today on Facebook that I met you in the hallway in Las Vegas. I mean, you know, I wasn't going to go through all the details and it kind of was the hallway. Oh yeah. You know? 100%. And by the way, I lost my iPhone charger cord that day that I forgot to unplug it from the wall. Oh no. I distracted you with my yellow so much that you lost your charge cord. Do you know that I had to go down to Caesar's Palace, Caesar's Forum to find an I, you know, an Apple store to buy one? <laughs> and this, we were way up at the other end of the strip. Oh my gosh. You got, you know, it's the yellow. It's just, it hypnotized you. Follow me. But, <laughs> but, I know. This takes me back to what you asked me about. Have I always been this open? I've always been this open because I've always lived in optimism. So if, you know, I share everything I'm doing with people because I want other people to be optimistic. You know, today's World that. Kindness Day, and I don't know when you're going to put this show up, but today is World Kindness Day. And, oh, you know, I that, didn't know that. I know, and that's what I'm all about. Do you want to know my favorite quote? Um, yeah, I was actually just about to say we're almost out of time, so let's get to the quote resource advice right. section. So let's do it. What is your favorite quote, Carol? No act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted by Aesop. I just love That's that. amazing. And I That's love that it's World Kindness Day. I did not know that. And it is so perfect. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But yeah, I, I, I've gone from, and I'm, I'm still grieving, and I'm still mourning. And you know, there's a difference between the two. Um, but I'm not going to go into definitions right now. And I always will be. And I will always be sad that I lost my best friend. Right. And somebody well, who loved me better than be? anybody ever loved me before, you know? Absolutely. But, but I can still be optimistic because I'm still here and I'm still breathing and I'm still above ground and I still have work to do. And this book is going to be a success. I know it is. I, feel I it. do too. Absolutely. And I, I always like to point out too that optimism doesn't mean everything is perfect. It no. just means that you believe things will get better. You know, of course they so, will get better. Right. And I, I, I just like to point that out on the show as much as humanly yeah. possible because I feel like people look at optimists as like rose-colored glasses and like everything's always perfect because we're in denial. We're not in denial. We know that things are hard. You know, it's just that we believe that we're going to overcome those things that are stopping us from living our best life right now. Exactly. And I love that. So do you have advice for our listeners? Advice. Oh, yeah. This is one that I share a lot on my Thrive Live. Awesome. I tell people, when you have a really, really good idea, keep it to yourself. Mm. Don't share it. The minute you share it, 
And the minute you put it out there before you've even really started working on it, um, you're going to get judged. So you're going to have people telling you, why are you doing that? Um, you know, they, they come up with the people and just, no, don't share it. <laughs> don't, just don't do it. Launch it and share it because then once it's fully right because people steal ideas i'm sorry but you know there are there are idea thieves out there you know they will steal an idea and that's why i didn't announce the url for the documentary because i still want to use that url Mm -hmm. and i don't want anybody stealing it from me (laughs) so no when you have a really good idea and you really think it's going to work don't talk about it not with anybody, not your family. Oh, my Lord. They're the ones that are going to come on you know, and tell you not to do it. <laughs> Katie, who I have a weekly series with, Katie Jeffcoat, she and I um, talk about the hole pokers. Yes, like, don't exactly. share it with hole pokers because yes. you have to be really firm in your idea. Like, I'm not a believer in people stealing ideas just because I don't think that people could ever execute the way that you're going to. But um, they'll steal titles for sure. Well, yeah. But... Yeah. But they'll definitely poke holes. And if you're not solid in your your idea enough to like let them poke the holes without it affecting you, yeah, don't share. That was a hard lesson for me too. Sure. I mean, the only person anybody should share with possibly is their spouse, but then again, maybe not. What if you're not happy in your marriage? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Just forget that that story. and maybe your best friend, and she better be your best friend, or maybe somebody who's going to go in business with you. But better than that, maybe it should be with the small business association, or with a lender, or with you know, because you're going to need money to start your idea. That's where you share your ideas with a financial advisor, not with somebody who can either pick it up and run with it themselves, or put you down and poke holes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And resource, favorite resource. That is helping you get through the grief. Actually, yes. The idea of not sharing comes from Elizabeth Gilbert in her Big Magic book. Mm-hmm. And I have read that book probably five times, and it's on my um, Ottoman in the living room. I'm going to read it again. My The rest of this year, I am reading about eight books, because in order to write a book, you should be reading books. Mm-hmm. So I need to return to doing some good reading, taking some good notes, and then putting it all together for myself. So I'll be reading a lot. I love it. And so your resource is Big Magic? Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert. She's one of my favorites. I, I've i also read Big Magic about five times and uh-huh. reading it again. I, I just love it. I love her perspective on all things creativity. Have you listened to her podcast? No, I haven't. Not yet. Oh, you should. It's interesting. It's called uh, Magic Lessons. And I don't think she's doing it anymore. I think she had like two seasons and then stopped. Um, But it's definitely worth a listen. Um, So I love that. Thank you for sharing those, those three things with our audience. And thank you for sharing your your experience and your knowledge and giving us your time and energy. I'm so grateful that you came on the show today. So am I. I'm an optimist. I wanted I to do this show. I know you are. <laughs> I know you are. You're one of the best optimists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to all of you who have been listening, thank you so much. I just can't express my gratitude enough to you. The show wouldn't exist without you, quite frankly. And the show is Aggressive Optimism, and you've been listening to it today. My name is Jenna Edwards, and I've been hosting it today. And you guys remember, if you dream it, it's possible. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you'll join me next time. 
The Aggressive Optimism Podcast is made possible through affiliate programs. So if you'd like to support the podcast and get some really great products for yourself, head on over to the offerings page at aggressiveoptimism.com. And if you want a little more aggressive optimism in your life, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Jenna Edwards Life. I'll see you over there. Until then, have a good one.